0: Right, everyone welcome back here we are with Kevin Perrin and Kevin uh, please introduce yourself and let everyone know what your company is yeah I
1: am Kevin Perrin and I'm owner and operator of Fort Lifestyle Products here
0: in Mount Hood Oregon awesome yeah so this is actually kind of uh, part two of Treefort we had Master Curry on oh no the nice, beginning of this year, and I intentionally I intentionally didn't listen to the episode because I kind of wanted to rediscover the story um so I'm going into this mostly blind. I did a little bit of research about the history of the company and I bet you I know some stuff will come back up. But um yeah, Jeff and I went over this a little bit for all the listeners that are here in the story again, but I wanted to learn more about you and uh I guess we could start with like where are you from and your early life.
1: Yeah, that's always fun for me to discuss, you know. It's like um fun to tell your story, I guess. Um and where we are like in the ski world and stuff too all come so much from that for me so yeah i'm from new hampshire um sunupy new hampshire originally it's a little small town um we have a ski resort there and it's like boston's home mountain mount sunupy you know so we're the closest like relatively real mountain with a little bit of vert um to boston uh, which is really nice it's kind of like this little resorty town um So a lot of the people who live there are not high class people necessarily, but there is a lot of high class in the area just because of so many vacation homes and all that. So I grew up in this little teeny town, you know, it was like 1500 people when I was growing up there and. Most of the homes in the town were owned by people as their second home. So our school was super small. You know, I graduated with a class of 37 kids from a public school, which is relatively unheard of. Um, Spent a lot of time on the lakes in the area. A lot of time skiing, was into soccer um, and just like mountain biking, skiing, just sports and athletics, wakeboarding, skateboarding, all that good stuff um yeah my little brother Brady Perrin and I we were just kind of a team growing up you know so Brady was like really good at skiing and at that point in time there was like all these rail jams happening all over the place and uh I had my license and Brady didn't and so I could like grab a car for my parents or whatever and we could go to these rail jams and he would always do well and that really like ingrained us into the ski industry I mean Right from the start, it was like the first year the Step Kids ever made a movie. Brady met him at a rail jam, right? And then we just like all became friends and kind of like this little crew at times, you know? Um, Along with the four by nine scene, which was, this was all pre four by nine and pre stepped as well. Four by nine represent, you know? Um, Yeah, man. But yeah, so that was like our, our real intro to it all, making connections, the whole scenario. Um, I kind of had like a tough time getting through high school and that whole scene. I wasn't like the best student. I tried really hard, but I just had, you know, the quote unquote learning disabilities and all that type of stuff. So I didn't like have good grades and whatnot. When it was time to like go to college, my mom was like really pushing for me to stay in the East Coast instead of go to the West because she knew I'd just get into skiing and wouldn't go to school. So I ended up staying in Burlington, Vermont or going to Burlington, Vermont for college with Cham- at Champlain and I was actually that was where I met Jeff. Um and we were just like two of like the real ski kids, you know. There was a couple other more at Champlain at the time, but we like linked super hard through that. Um and that was actually kind of neat cuz my brother was a few years behind me. He finished high school And he ended up moving to Utah. And in that time, it it separated us, but it really ended up bringing us closer because I was able to just kind of be a a four by nine representative on the East, which was a really interesting scenario. So like, you know, when they first started making movies, they were in Salt Lake, they weren't going to fly to like IF3 because there was no budget. There was no anything. they were just kids with a camera. So I was like, four by nine guy who would go to if three for them or you know all these stupid things which was really neat because it just created all these connections and um yeah so that's kind of like my my growth and come up I'm sure there's like a lot more depth that could we could go into but basically yeah that's it
0: damn I mean getting exposed to the ski industry by stepped in four by nine that is just an incredibly strong start Right, but they
1: weren't even industry then. They were just kids yeah. with a camera, you know? They're like, well, we're thinking about making a movie. And and wasn't anything at that time. Step was like, just barely like had a name maybe. And they didn't even have an edit out at that time. So it was just like, hey, you want to hold the camera? We'll film you and you film us and that type of scenario when that started. And that was more with Brady. That was like the first time that they met. And then from then on, it ended up being really, really cool for me because like I said, I was in Burlington. Everybody was out on the West coast, you know, or not coast, but yeah. Step was in Colorado Four by nine was in Utah. And like, um, Vermont open used to happen at Stratton back in the day. So, uh, stepped would like, get me a media pass. Right. And I'd like hold the camera. It was crazy, dude. Like the year that, um, The year that Wallish's Super Unknown came out, in that like full Burton suit and stuff, it's like if you watch the Step movies, I'm hyped because my job at Vermont Open was pretty much to follow around Wallish with the camera, so I like filmed a whole bunch of the Wallish segment. Yeah, it's just like it's just cool how it all like comes in, you know?
0: Absolutely. And so yeah, you you mentioned that the rail jams were huge for your younger brother. So what were the rail jams at the time? Like, was rails was that pre-rails to riches? Like, what was the scene yeah. at, at the time? Yeah, it was
1: actually pre-rails to riches. You know, Stratton would have, like, three rail jams a year. Um, you know, Mount Sunapee would have one. You'd have one up at Waterville. You'd have one, you know. Um, there was just, like, each resort would kind of put one on. Sometimes a shop would have one in, like, their parking lot. But you could, within, like, a three-hour driving range, I'd say, you could, like, every weekend find maybe every other weekend find something like that to do that it really just was nice man because it took you out of being around people who like ski but aren't like fully in and it put you only with the people who are fully in and it's just so crazy how many of those people who you'd end up at the same rail jams with together all the time are still in it you know yeah
0: yeah and I think that like that experience is lost a little bit. I think that Telefriend tour does a good job of that now. Cuz yeah. even when it comes to ski Sundown, I'll still stop by even though I'm probably one of the older guys there. Um, but it's just great cuz you're just fully around people that are super into it. Same thing when you go out to like X Games, you know, and you're right. around the right crowd. Obviously, there's a crowd there that's just the party, but you go out to Mount Hood, you would go out to Mount Hood in May, you're around those same people. So yeah, the exactly. exposure to that is huge it's
1: really, it's really, really similar to that. It's really like coming to hood. Yeah. In May, Um, because yeah, everybody comes from their own places. And yeah, a lot of people come from Salt Lake, but it's like kids from Montana, kids driving from Vermont and Maine, like all those people who end up here are like the ones who obviously put the effort into it. And yeah, they're they're gonna stick around probably because they're putting that effort in, you know? Absolutely. so how did
0: so you and you and Jeff Curry met at Champlain what do you remember how you guys met
1: (laughs) um I think there's a little bit of a difference in our stories because I feel like I've met him I'm pretty sure I met Jeff um like a week before school started for him Jeff's a year younger than me so I was already in college, done my freshman year, and I think I went back up to Burlington early that year. There was a rail jam in Burlington, and it was like in the summer style, like out of a cooler style snow. And I remember Jeff doing like a backflip or something onto the rail. It was just like something crazy. Um, and I think I like met him there, but then, um, no, it was just more like walking by each other basically and Champlain's a small college too so like you clearly walk by the line skier kid because he was like connected and had all the gear on you know and it's like oh that kid's into it and in a small school like that just didn't take long I think we said hello to each other in passing once and then probably ended up just in classes together I'm pretty sure and automatically we were in like the same group you know what I mean it was like we were We were building business plans together in different classes, and I think we were in like a same group like four different times in college, like building businesses or, or, yeah, creating some type of marketing plan or something. You know, it was kind of funny.
0: Yeah. So what were you guys doing for skiing? Were you guys would you guys like go out and film each other? Were you just riding for fun? Like, were you trying to make a career in skiing even before this business? No,
1: not at all. Actually, Jeff was. Jeff was like really good and he's so damn talented. Like, it's crazy to watch that kid ski his fundamentals are just out of control, bolts every time. I was just like loving it and I loved being involved in it. And I love the ski and snowboard scene, you know. Um, I didn't really have any, I wasn't filming at that point in time, only when I would like be helping Stepped out, I would like be holding a camera for them. So I wasn't like filming Curry um and no one was filming me either I mean there was a little crew that I was like semi involved with and Jeff was probably a little bit more involved with the Skrilla Squad and um I think they made like a couple edits and stuff during the college days but I was not like super involved with that or super involved with filming I just literally skied for fun at that point in time and yeah but really felt like involved in the community so that i think is like the like interesting thing it wasn't out of like my skill and ability level it was like through connection making and and like downright good friends it was crazy you know
0: yeah Uh, quick question about stepped were they when they were younger were they as sketchy as their movies made them seem seem like their movies made them seem like criminals that were you know no yeah, yeah no
1: they're really nice like I mean, they're the type of dudes you can introduce to your mom and dad and they're like, oh, they love them. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, I think once they got to Colorado and like really got into filming, um, I think they, they were really smart about how they played it actually. As I look at life now, I think about how if you want to like be... Something in terms of like regarded by the people. I think you have to take your whatever your personality is and times it by 10 and just make it absurd. So I think they were really good at embellishing what they already did to make it look more like dramatic. And I think that's really, really cool because it it definitely lets you feel it. It doesn't make it feel like it's a mundane thing that they're hitting this handrail. It really feels like they're breaking into some shit. And it's like kind of that is what they were doing technically. But it's like, in the end, it's not really what the vibe is like. And it's not really, I don't know, the scene necessarily. But I don't know either because I wasn't there once they went to Colorado. Like I wasn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So
0: so you made it through college. Was there any inkling of a business with with Jeff at the time or was that well after?
1: Yeah, that was well after, actually. It's kind of funny um, because... to me I just love looking back on things so much and it's like duh you know um but no it was very much we were just going to business school um yeah I knew I wanted to make a business like we both talked about like kind of what we wanted to do and it wasn't like what do you want to do maybe we could like work it in together it was just like "Ah, I think it would be cool to like own a ski shop someday or something in the ski industry you know and like that got us in our groups you know we built like a one ski shop that was like it was called La Creme or something like that and the idea was like it was a ski shop in the summer and an ice cream shop or a ski shop in the winter and ice cream and skateboard shop in the summer or something like that you know it was just like dumb ideas like having fun and and coming up with things but it, it was interesting because we like worked together prior to working together, which is a really cool thing. And um, yeah, we had like, just different variables with different groups throughout the whole time and different people in those groups, sometimes the same people too. But no, we didn't ever like, think about working together. I think that just kind of, like really naturally fell into place. Um, and that story is just like, super cool to me too. Like, and I'll, I'll just speak it if you want. Yeah, like, you
0: can get straight into it if you'd like. Or, I mean, where did you end up after college? I feel like is an important part Okay, yeah, we'll yeah. keep it
1: a little bit more timeline. Yeah. Um, yeah, so after college, I was stuck because I knew I wanted to move to the skiing. Um, and I was like, do I go to Colorado where the whole step crew is? And they're like a lot of my friends and a lot of my friends like ended up linking with them as well you know so it wasn't like just nick and alex who we were friends with but it was like yeah their their crew got bigger and a whole bunch of kids from vermont who ended up in boulder were also a part of their crew you know and um that type of scenario so i was like either stepped or i go to salt lake which is where my brother was and where four by nine was and that was just kind of like a natural move for me and i decided that I don't know it's probably like before before the end of my senior year I want to say of college I decided I was going to go to Salt Lake after and it actually worked out really cool because one year when I was being four by nine representative at IF3 I'm like in this packed hallway you know and me and Holson Andrew Holson are just like the only two kids on the east coast from four by nine so we're standing there in this packed hallway and we're really stuck and like the crowd kind of situates and moves a little bit. And then like Tanner Hall's standing right in front of us. Right. And the whole time driving up, Holson's like Tanner Hall's going to be there. Like, he's like, I I don't even smoke weed, but man, if Tanner Hall's there, I might have to smoke with him or something. You know, he was like that excited about like meeting this dude. And like literally all of a sudden he's like right in front of us. I look over and Holson's just like, kind of like tight, you know? And I was right away. I'm like, Hey Tanner, my name's Kevin. I'm here with 4x9 Productions. and I heard you were skiing with Henrik and all of a sudden he just grabs me and just like pushes people out of the way, dude. And just like, we head right up to like the VIP zone and got the introduction to Iberg, Tanner and just like that whole scene. It was really, really wild. So that leading back into it was just really cool because I had already decided to move to Utah and Tanner's like, I live in Park City, man. We got to hang out, you know? And I'm like, this is insane. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a pro skier. He doesn't know this, but I'm not a pro skier. And he's like, down to hang out, you know, it was like the craziest thing. So that was like probably a small, another like little thing that just like fed into me going to Utah. I moved to Utah and man, I was just like blown away going there. I had a friend from there who set me up with a kid that I like had met before Henny and Henny was from Vermont and he lived at this house that had an open room. So he's like, Oh, we've got an open room. You should come live here. I end up pulling in and it's just like, before even getting in the house, it's just like F three fifties and big trucks with sled decks and snowmobiles on top of them. And it was uh, these dudes Kyler Cooley and Dylan Natal's house, and they're just like, they were like powder gods at that point in time, you know. Um, and it was just like a like moving into a dream. It was crazy. Uh, so moved into that house, my brother's house, and like one slash one of like the four by nine kind of crew house was just right up the street, and then there was another like four by nine house that was down in like the university kind of zone sugar house kind of zone. Um, so that was just really neat. Cause we kind of had like two crews and kind of went back and forth between the two spots and had a blast living in Utah, got to, yeah, fulfill a lot of the life dreams. That's kind of crazy because yeah, you just kind of like I always had all these dreams about, going out there and like what it could happen. And it's just like, within a few years, they were all fulfilled. It's like, kind of had to make some new dreams up in a way, you know, like,
0: where am I going
1: now? Like literally got invited, uh, like the first time Tanner hit me up, I was just slaving in this warehouse at level nine, working super hard and grimy conditions. And, And that was like when they had first started. So it was just this this scene right and i'm like grinding super hard and my phone starts ringing it's tanner and he's like hey we've got a pipe shoot tonight um you should just pack your car with a bunch of homies and come and hang out and we get to end up getting up there and it's like the pipe is at night and it's lit up with rasta color lights and it's just insane and tanner's chucking we're smoking spliffs at the top tanner's like pulling in grabbing a spliff out of our hands smoking it and then just dropping in and doing a dub 12, like it's nothing, you know, 20 feet out of the pipe. But it was really cool because, you know, back to like Dreams, it's like, it was just so cool. It turned into a cover on Powder Magazine. And it's like an all black cover with, yeah, Tanner lit under these like Ross lights in the half pipe. But like, for me, I love the idea of like being somewhere when something extraordinary or something like really memorable happens being able to witness that i think is like really incredible so that was just one right away i was like no way i met eric Seo and watched him take a photo of tanner like to me that was just some like legendary stuff you know um so yeah utah was just mind-blowing dude like met so many awesome people created so many friendships got out in the back country on the side of homie snowmobiles and like yeah just insane video premieres like it just went off it was crazy
0: yeah how were those four by nine video premieres especially since you were kind of part of the crew
1: dude it, actually it's crazy because i didn't mention this but back east when they first started they would have them in the fall back east and The first year of the four by nine premiere i think was um in the imax movie theater in boston
0: holy crap it was
1: insane and i think that was with steps too at that one so that was like really really neat and then um yeah and then four by nine premieres were really really cool no question in salt lake but i gotta say like at that time four by nine was very am so level one scene was like insane then it was like popping and it was like right when wallace got on there and like you know a quarter probably of that level one crew was in salt lake so it's like ahmet and wiley and all those guys and it's like i was living at wiley's house one year type of thing so it was just like real crew oriented and so damn fun man you know just to have those scenes and have so many people show up and the whole like trying to get free wristbands and all this dumb stuff that you look back on. It's like not that cool. But at the time you thought it was like, you're like, I am so involved. I can't, I'm standing next to Josh Berman right now. You know, like it was just crazy.
0: That's so sick. How did you guys feel at the time? Like kind of level one and all these big production companies poaching one of the guys from your crew and you know, for a large portion of the year, he's gone not filming with you guys. He's filming with somebody else. Like, was it did that make the dynamics weird at all? Or like, did it kind of take away from the quality of your guys' movies?
1: I don't know. I can't really like speak to that too much because Four minds Mine's like kind of my friends and not necessarily like I was like a real, real uh, part of it. But at the same time, like everybody was a real part of it because it was small. Mm-hmm. Um, But no, it only boosted everything, I think, in the end. You know, there was, there's... I don't know what it's like necessarily now, but there was like no beef drama feels between anything then. It was just like, everyone's trying to make as much as they can in terms of content and like putting stuff out. And any opportunity over here is an opportunity for over here. And um, I think it got the four by nine movie scene a lot more. I think, yeah, I don't know, but it wasn't, the difference I think is level one was like probably pretty pro in the sense of like, they had budgets, they needed to fulfill things four by nine was just going to park city and like building jumps in the side country. It wasn't like, um, a real deal, uh, mission. So there wasn't, it wasn't like you were getting taken from, it was almost like, dang, our guys made it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like a right. The, it's like the definition of a rising tide raises all boats, you know, like everyone was lifted up by these guys getting lifted up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really neat. And uh, and then like, yeah, coming back to like a level one premiere in Salt Lake when one of the crew is like in it, you know what I mean? It just makes yeah. it so fun to like celebrate and like see what he's done in the big leagues in a way, even though you're like partying next to him the whole time or, you know, around each other the whole time. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, but I mean, really, really cool. And it kind of happened for a couple of the guys in a way. So yeah. Yeah definitely neat at that time
0: i gotta ask and i always i always bring him up what was steve step like as a as a as a college kid
1: oh man he was the goblin dude it's so (laughs) funny he's just like you could just always tell he's so damn intelligent and i think that's what's so funny about him is his like weirdness and his energy overpowers intelligence to most people but when you like really start sitting back and watching him it's like holy shit this kid is like really smart you know yeah um That's so i think awesome. that was like really funny and and really cool and that was a a neat thing about the whole scenario actually is like every one of those guys was going to college you know so it was like wasn't like um just be a bum in salt lake and and uh go skiing it was like they were all going to school they're all super smart and maybe even without tons of effort they were doing things that like naturally helped them like creating a persona and sticking behind that and like obviously steve has ran with that one you know Um, more than
0: anyone arguably
1: yeah for sure but there was there was also this like interesting split too so um, one house, like where my brother lived, was like Colin Collins, Brady, Whit Foster, our buddy Ryan West, Jeff Kiesel, and like that kind of crew. And then there was the then there was a frat house actually for a little while in four by nine, and that was like a party house. So it was kind of like this joke where it's like oh kind of all the spliff smoker dudes are out here and kind of like the heavy partier dudes are out here and on party nights we all went over there and on like after skiing or whatever we we're probably like bouncing on the trampoline in the backyard at Wit Colin, and brady's house you know mm-hmm. um and i was more on that side of the Whit, Colin, and brady scene and not as much of like the wallish and steve and aj and napier side but the interesting part is just being friends with napier and aj before they ever moved there and those guys are four by nine they aren't the skiers in it but they are they are four by nine so at that point in time yeah there was uh there steve wasn't my best friend we'll put it that way he's like a really awesome person and a homie but like i just ended up in this like small other crowd a little bit more i think you know
0: yeah so totally. the reason i asked is just because the fans love him so much and people just Dude, can't get enough Steve Step content.
1: I can't get enough either. It's hilarious, just because you never know what's what's gonna come out. You know what I mean? And like, oh man, I just like it's so funny. That kid makes me laugh out loud on like an Instagram thing all the time. But it was like the other day, it was like Jesper slid that super long rail, right? And broke the Wallace's thing. And Steve had a post on his Instagram and it's just only text and it says can someone please send me Jesper's address? I just want to ask him a few questions. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh my God, dude, this kid is so damn funny. And I was like, almost crying, laughing, just reading this thing because it's like, you're like, I have no idea what's going through his mind, but the three things that come to my head of what's probably going through his mind are all hilarious, you know? Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's like, funny. So
1: dude, that, that kid is awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what were you doing for for money at the time? You mentioned you were working in a warehouse.
1: Yeah, so Level 9 was a, like, a ski shop. It is a ski shop. Level 9 Sports, you probably know about it. Um, When I first started there, they were strictly, pretty strictly online. They had a small retail store, and they just bought overstock of products and hustled it hard at cheap prices. And when I started, it was at, I just started like packing boxes and shipping stuff for them. And we were in like an 8,000 square foot warehouse, which, you know, is pretty sizable, but like two years or three years into working with them, we moved into an 80,000 square foot warehouse. So like I went with them through this crazy growth phase. Like they worked hard for, I think like the five years before I was there from the start to get to where, it was when I started and then, and I was just a minion, but it was just really cool to watch it really, really grow from nothing to something and over double. And then, yeah, finding that big warehouse and how the owners dealt with it and mitigated risk and all these type of things. But, um, it was really cool to kind of get in then where I didn't have the title of like warehouse manager, but was very, very involved because I had been there through the whole, all these changes. And that was actually a really, really cool experience for me because when we went from small spot to big spot, the company expanded massively and I was a pretty good worker, you know? I'm just like good old New Hampshire boy who just puts his head down and grinds and, you know, they're like, you got any friends <laughs> like you, you know? And I was like, oh, I'll get some good workers in here. And I think I got like, oh man, my buddy Sam, I can't even, I don't know. I got a couple friends in there and then it just started spawning. And it wasn't just me actually too. One of my buddies from college, Dan Mason, we both moved out together to Utah or we drove out together to Utah. And like the day that I started working for level nine, I found out that Dan started yesterday for level nine, but he was at the retail store. And what that kind of set up Oh, and this is fun too. He worked with Chuck Mumford at the retail store who now owns Pit Viper. Right. And oh. that's a whole crazy one. And Chris Garson, who also owns Pit Viper worked for level nine too, but Dan and Chuck were like running the retail store. Um, and so as we expanded, they started hiring people on that end. And then on the warehouse side of things started hiring people. So I got a few of my buddies in there and then one of them became like the manager of customer service. So then underneath there, it just grew to a bunch of friends. And it was so cool to at one point, like level nine was like taking us and they still do this. They'd bring you on like cool little company trips or whatever, but it was all squad. Like it was just like our homies and we're all like belaying like 80 foot waterfalls into like Zion or something. You know what I mean? It's just like, what, this is so cool how, this culture like all came together and yeah so that was what I was doing mostly for money and um you know it's like off in the summer kind of deal uh I learned I learned about unemployment I didn't understand unemployment you know um I never did it I I actually came back to like level nine one year and they're like they're like uh we're giving you we're giving you a little bonus bigger bonus this year than than the others and it's because you're the only one who hasn't taken unemployment this summer and I was like I can I could go on unemployment (laughs) you know what I mean like (laughs) I had no idea I was like literally going and getting like a job cutting vegetables at like a salad spot you know what I mean like doing nothing for jobs type stuff which is awesome and it's taught me a lot but um yeah just those type of things kind of Everyone was on like summer vacation and I'm like grinding trying to
0: find things to do you know it's pretty funny that is funny so i re- so in my research about the origins of treefort i i see two different stories so d- did it, did the company start while you were still in salt lake or did it start while you were in mount hood no i was still in salt lake okay so yeah good. let's let's hear your story cuz i'll tell you the other one that i read on <laughs>
1: Perfect yeah this is always fun because it is a little bit confusing and and it depends on where you start with it too and so Jeff and I have like always kind of gone back with and forth with like where did it start when did it start like what's our official days and spots but the story everyone can just take it from the story I guess and you can kind of decide from your own but um the story is that like on Thanksgiving 2011 um Jeff was up here working at Wendell's so after college he graduated he ended up getting the head coaching job here in Mount Hood at Wendell's and all the kids would go home you know for Thanksgiving and he's like I'm not gonna fly to the east coast for three days like it's stupid you know and there's also nobody here in Welch is like this is kind of a ghost town I don't know if you've ever been up here but it's pretty there's nothing really here so he didn't have any like crew here and he's like I- I've he did it for two years in a row. Just I'll drive down to Salt Lake, hang out with Kevin and the crew and uh, have Thanksgiving with them, then drive back up, you know? And so the official story for me of tree four is we're like finished Thanksgiving dinner. Um, we actually had it at our house at my house at the time. And at that time it was the old saga house. So it was where saga started which is also kind of an interesting one because Saga also started at Mount Hood kind of too with the Wendell scene, but literally like almost identical-ish stories. You know, you got the Saga house, they moved out. We ended up moving in a few years later. Um, Where they had their offices was my bedroom and it was like this huge basement room. We all like kind of drew straws and I ended up with the big basement room. And so that was where we'd all smoke and stuff and whatnot. So like after Thanksgiving dinner, we're like downstairs in the dungeon, hanging out in my room, which is the old saga offices having our doobies. And we just ended up talking about how crazy it is that everybody has their own little style of suspenders going. And people like Wallish are like getting paid by the North face, you know, to wear all this out, like nice outerwear and then they open up their jackets like duct tape and shoelace suspenders holding their shit up. And it's like, all right, everyone's got a chest strap going across. So when you still in chairlift your straps don't come off. Um, I had a problem as a short guy, like the adjusters on suspenders would always end up on my shoulders. And that means I couldn't wear my backpack to go in the backcountry with the suspenders so i'd have to take my suspenders off and i hated that i loved wearing my suspenders um so that was like a big thing like how to change the adjustment and then yeah so i'd say those were like the two main things but in doing that we changed the adjustment which allowed the third main thing which was the clip to be removable which is awesome because you can replace it and also awesome because you can totally take it off go around the belt and not have any hard pieces on you at all which is really key so we just started talking about that idea um and how it probably could be fixed and you know Jeff's sitting there with a with a notepad like sketching you know and he's sketching this whole thing up and and like a bunch of us are just like putting ideas down we're like all right if you do loops here then you can put the chest strap on and how do those loops interact with this and then the felt like can velcro work and whatever and next thing you know we had a drawing and at that point I just like remember so vividly like Jeff looking over his left shoulder at me and being like dude these are these are good we've got to have a name you know and right then it really felt like something like everybody in the room wanted them already, you know? And it was basically like Jeff and I like talking about it and we're like getting really serious and I could see everyone else kind of like stepping back a little bit. And we're like, does anyone else want to be involved in this? Like, you guys want to, like, let's do this, you know? And uh, <clears throat> my buddy Sean was like, oh, I want a pair of suspenders, you know? And, and Sean actually has the original first ever prototype or whatever. And then Brady was there. Can't remember who else who else was really there. I know Brady and Sean. My buddy Sam was there. Um, Luke Perrin, he used to live with us. Um, yeah. But we just had a little basement crew going on and everyone throwing their ideas in, you know. We ended up with this, with this design. And yeah, from there it's just like quickly mentioning it to some friends my buddy Dylan Ferguson I don't know if you know that name but he's an old four by nine ski kid um he was into sewing a little bit at the time and he's like I've got an extra $30 sewing machine you can just have it so he gave that to me and next thing you know I'm like ripping velcro off of like whatever I had man you know it was like it was like stripping down uh shin guards and going to the di D, is it the di yet? Yeah, desert <laughs> industries going to the di and finding anything with velcro on it like just sewing it on uh elastic that we got And anyways we made them super friggin long and that was like the whole thing to have them long enough too and yeah no hard pieces different adjustment chest strap and so that was like the story and then now we're living in two different places. Jeff drives back up to Mount Hood, Oregon. I stay there and we just keep doing our own thing, communicating through email and whatnot, you know? But it was kind of like the same business in two different places. So that's where it gets kind of confusing. And a lot of people who live here only know it as a thing from here. But it's like, it literally, to me, started in Salt Lake. Now the scenario is, to to bring back the confusionist part is when we register the business we registered it here so there was nothing that said that it wasn't salt lake like jeff registered the business in oregon and at that point it's an oregon business and i and at that point we're a real business because we're registered so when people ask when it started i'm like thanksgiving 2011 but that's like the concept of the business that's not necessarily the business but we sewed things from 2011 until 2013 when it was registered and we both kind of did our own thing in two spots
0: yeah what was the inception of the name
1: um i had a an old business plan wrote for uh Treefort rolling papers actually that was that was the original idea. And I just had all these like funky ideas of different rolling papers that you could do. Um, and then when I started really like looking into that, it was really absurd to start that type of company. You had tons of capital and overhead. And so I just kind of tabled it. You know, I have, a, I have like a little high idea book we call it where it's like all the ideas you get, you gotta like write them down and at least like kind of save them somewhere. Um, And so it just kind of stayed in that book, you know? And then literally when Jeff looked over his shoulder and was like, we need a name for this. I was like, I've got a name. And so that came, we'll go a little deeper if you want. And that came from the idea of me trying to figure out names. And I was like, well, what do you do when you roll a split? I was like, I was thinking you flip it or you twist it. And the F from flip and then O-R, so F or T flip or twist and then i saw the the word fort obviously i wrote it and i was like tree fort that is it and i got so fired up on that name and um so that was the that was like the original behind the scenes idea um when i brought it up with jeff it just really fit in everything that we were going for and we decided to add lifestyles onto there because we didn't really want to be a ski specific brand we really wanted to be like what we as skiers do in our lifestyle outside of on the mountain you know so like like we're always doing weird shit and like have our own style and not afraid to walk in the grocery store looking like a goon to normal people but to us we're like thinking we're cool you know so I just thought that there was like tons of room for us to be able to contribute to the to the rest of the world with a skiers mentality is really what the lifestyle idea kind of comes from and yeah and then we had everyone was either like sponsored by these we just didn't want to compete with these brands we really wanted to like work with other brands you know and have them help us maybe and all that type of stuff so yeah uh yeah that's
0: that's That's, uh, that. That's a great story, dude. So the yeah. one I saw online, I believe it's like a blog written on the tree Fort website. Uh, Jeff says that it was uh, that it all started when you came over his house with one of the, uh, the travel trunks, like a, a prototype of the travel trunk. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. So where does that, like, how does that story play into everything? Yeah. So
1: that, is a whole nother scene actually. And this is this gets super fun for me. So I, we were living in the saga house, or what was the saga house? The basement floods, right? And um yeah, the basement floods. We all get evicted, not in a bad way, but just like they gotta fix the house. I had just gotten shoulder surgery, so I'm like two days out of shoulder surgery, like pretty stuck and have no idea like where i'm gonna go you know my my friends figured some stuff out and i was i mean we all figured it out in a matter of three days we were out of there pretty quick but i got so lucky dude and tanner was like what do you mean you don't know where to go he's like i got a room for you at my house so i moved into tanner's house in park city it was like the most insane thing He gave me a room for a while for free. And then Iberg ended up moving out. And then he gave me an office for Treefort for free too, which was just like such a blessing, dude, to have a year um, of unpaid rent. And it was just like probably the most supportive thing that anyone's ever done for the business. Like, and he didn't even really think of it as that. But to me, that's like all I think of it as. He was just like, yeah, Kevin's got, got nowhere to go. Like I got a room. And I'm not even going to be here most of the year, you know? So he's just like being so homey like that and really hooked it up. So we had built the suspenders at that point in time. Um, I don't think we had read. I don't think we had registered the business at that point in time yet. Um, and I end up moving up there um, and then get really involved with like the inspired family. You know, that was also like a big, Part of my crew. Once I ended up linking with Tanner, you know, and that was really fun too because we were kind of like able to mesh all of those little groups of the four, my nine, and Tanner, and like, like we almost had him in a movie one year, which was like for an Am movie company to like have a Tanner Hall segment would have been epic, and it just didn't work out. But he really wanted to, and they wanted to, and just fun things like that. So that's that's what I love too is making connections, you know. I feel like a lot of people felt like he was like maybe out of their league or something, but it's like, no, I'm no one. And I'm friends with them. Like you guys are skiers. You should, you should be friends too. But anyway, so I'm living up there and I ended up doing, um, the inspired demo tour. I don't know if you know what that is. Oh, I
0: remember that. I was, I was probably an early teenager at the time. Yeah. Did you go? Uh, no, but one of my buddies did shout out Jay Burroughs. He says it like changes life.
1: Sick. Yeah, so the inspired demo tour was so cool too, because Iberg and I were like living at Tanner's house, he got to like have faith and trust in me and he couldn't go on the demo tour. I believe he might have been like him and his girl might have been pregnant or something like that. And He couldn't do the demo tour, right? And he's like, Kevin, you're the only one that I trust to do it. So I was the manager of the inspired demo tour, which was really, really cool. One of the better experiences of my life, you know, it makes me like family with Phil and Henrik and all these guys and yeah, Paul and Stojan. My brother came along for a while. It it linked me more with like inspired Tanner and iberg which was really cool.
0: Was Henrik on um, that tour too? What's that? Was Henrik on that tour?
1: Yeah, it was yeah. insane, dude. That was the year of the nose butter triple. So he like came back with gold medals, going like he left in the middle of Ohio, like, like, dude, PVC rails at like resorts and stuff like nothing and no kids showing up to ski with us or anything. I can't wait. I actually have a bunch of footage of him and I just like cruising this little hill in Ohio. And I want to make a little cut of it because it's like the last spot that he rode before going to X Games. Man, it was just like, such a crazy thing for him to leave the flattest spots go do the x go do x games win a bunch of shit and then come back to the flattest spots like with the medals and everyone's just like so hyped and he's so hyped and it's yeah there's just so many things to be said about him and that mentality and that like it's for him, but he's still like giving back to the people so much, dude. It's like, he could have been doing so many crazy things that year, but instead he's like literally going from like superstardom right back into the van, dude. And it was like ghetto life a little bit, you know? There wasn't much of a budget or anything. Um, so yeah, like way cool experience and built such a good relationship with those guys. Um, and then it's just, like, I got to say, like, that kid is so wild, man, because in the, in the van, sometimes you'd be like, be like, damn, is Henrik sleeping, you know? And just, like, you, like, poke, poke someone be like, is Henrik sleeping? And all of a sudden, he'd just sit up and he'd be like, nope! <laughs> you know? And he's just, like, totally wide awake and he's just in his head dreaming. So my theory is he was doing nose-butter triples the whole time laying down in the van between these two seats he's just visualizing and visualizing and yeah that's how that all happened in my in my personal opinion but
0: that was crazy dude so many rabbit holes that i never would have expected from you i thought you know this is crazy it actually explains why inspired media submitted a viewer question for the end so we'll, we'll get to that later oh, but sick, no, no way. I had, yeah i had no idea you were so involved with with all of this that's a, that's incredible it's kind of fun, man. It's like um, really a unique way
1: to approach a brand build, you know, because for me, this whole thing is like very community oriented. It's not about the product necessarily. The product is what creates it and allows the thing to like bring everybody together. But in the end, it's really just like straight community build so yeah every time you see if you see like on our instagram or whatever people who are promoting these these people aren't our team they aren't they're just friends dude and it's so damn cool that we get that support from these type of people and um hopefully we give something we're giving something back to them but it's not like we're giving them paychecks you know and i think that's a bummer but also beautiful at the same time
0: yeah totally so how did you, um, so you're living with Tanner of oh, all yeah. people. Yeah. Like how did you end up getting to Mount hood? I don't know if there's a lot of steps in between, but. All right, well, we got to
1: go back to the traveler's Charm. So this is where this whole thing okay, is kind yeah. of coming. We do the inspire demo tour year. That was awesome. Um, yeah, had a blast met a ton of people who I've re-met all over the time or yeah, over these times in life since then it's been so crazy, but after that whole thing, Tanner had a, um, uh, an invitational. He, he did the Tanner Hall Invitational. It was at, I don't know, somewhere in Tahoe. So we went to Tahoe for the Tanner Hall Invitational. And for some reason, man, the night before that, I just kept thinking about all these little concepts that kind of just seemed to be one thing to me. And, and that was the traveler's trunk, which was our, our little bag. It's like, huh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's
0: the bag that everyone sees on on Instagram. Yeah, hangs right, around the right. Neck.
1: That's our main go to thing, right? So the scenario with that was three things, kind of at level nine. I pretty much made one of those out of cardboard, so I could have my phone hanging from my neck and have the cord from the cell phone go up to my ears and not have it be like all the way through all these pockets and whatever. And I could also have my pens my markers, all these things I need to keep myself organized in the warehouse. Um, So that was one. Another one was Henrik had a passport holder that was just falling apart and stacked full of stuff. And he would have his little trinkets that he always carries with him, or like an old picture or like something like that, you know. Um, And then the other one was the suspenders needed a bib pocket because you're out there. And same thing as as, uh, in the warehouse with the headphones on, even worse with ski pants, the cord wasn't long enough to go all the way down to the bottom of our sagged pants pockets that were like at our shin, probably at that point, you know, just like so far down. So we needed something to hold our phone that was a little bit higher. And I was like, well, we built suspenders and they've got all these loops we started building bib pockets. Both Jeff and I started building bib pockets and Jeff's were totally different than mine. And I remember him sending me his and something just clicked that night when I got them. And I was like, I need to build a wallet on the front of this and put a necklace on it so I can just take it off my suspenders and go to the bar with it. So the night before going, like we were leaving at whatever, five or six in the morning to go to Tahoe the next day. And classically, I'm up till two thirty or three in the morning, like putting this ghetto thing together that's going to hold my phone and my wallet. And uh, and that was the traveler's trunk. So I'm also like really dude oriented at that point in time. Um, and there was like this very awkward thing like oh man i just built a purse and now i've got to wear it and i can just so much remember like walking into like a gas station with this thing around my neck being like pretty embarrassed you know like all right i'm going to walk in there with this thing on i can't i can't really believe i'm doing this and it sounds absurd today but in 2012 you know totally different scenario 10 years ago i think um and maybe not to you guys, but I'm 35, so it's definitely.
0: Yeah, well, I'm just I'm just used to shoving stuff in my pockets. I think I would still be like, I would just be like, do I even need this thing? You know, I just shove everything well, right in my pants.
1: Totally, totally. Well, wait till you get not your stuff in your pants. It's just so nice, dude, to have free pockets. It's crazy. But besides besides that, it's just like a it's just very felt feminine at the time for totally. a dude to carry a purse and uh, and so yeah there was that and then i was going to the invitational and got there and it's like a stacked lineup i mean it's it's tanner it's rory silva it's candide dude it's like crazy where, and where
0: was the invitational i'm sorry if you already mentioned it it was in
1: tahoe it was okay, at yeah. uh i don't know south in south lake okay i'm like totally spacing the name of the resort it was so uh, Sierra at Tahoe, I think.
0: Yeah, that's, the, that's a mountain out there. I don't know if that's the one, but that's out I there. I think
1: that was the one. That was so damn cool. So here I am, you know, and I know Tanner and a few of the people, Henrik and Phil, you know, those guys. And um, my brother's there and whatnot. But other than that, I didn't really, like, know everyone. I am meeting the legends, dude. And it was mind-blowing. But here I am and I'm so embarrassed because I'm like about to walk in with this purse on, you know? And kind of like hiding it. And we wore it like straight over, you know? We wore it like this. So it wasn't like, um, didn't feel like a side bag across the body as much, but still it was one. And I just remember like cruising into a room and like all everyone kind of like looking at me and Tanner being like, that is sick and everyone thought it was sick. And I was like, just totally like blown away by it. And yeah, so that was like, that's the story of the Traveler's Trunk really is is that. And that was the first week I ever used it. And yeah, so then from then on, we obviously had to build on it. It was, it was like a one night build prototype, not lots of thought put into it, but it held my phone and it held my cards and my cash. And that was all we really needed at the time. Um, but since then, we just added a few more things, you know, a couple pockets, a little sunglasses loop. And now it's like tip top. We might have to do a, a new, another remake in the future since the times have changed a little bit. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really handy thing. And basically, back to what you said, it's like, dude, to not have stuff in your pockets and to not have that bulge. And I went from wearing huge baggy pants to not has baggy anymore so just to not have all that crap and not have to like dig through my pocket to find the one thing or when i'm pulling my keys out all this other stuff doesn't come out it's just really nice and then the nicest part is just being like take it off and you're just empty and it feels really really nice feels great driving you're not all clogged i don't know something about it so it is like a dangly thing and I understand that that's like kind of annoying it's like a gaudy thing but it is just so nice to take off and for people who lose their wallets all the time it's like the game changer because you just don't really lose it you know it's just on you
0: yeah that's sick I mean if we keep going down this road it's gonna be like women's pants where they don't even make pockets
1: (laughs) yeah no exactly dude no pockets no problem like it's crazy yeah and who knows who knows where everything's going you know maybe men will just be all wearing dresses in the next 10 years or something i don't know it's crazy but i'll tell you what it is one of the handiest things and there's super small niche things like going like going to the airport security and that feeling of when you're like kind of being like rushed to like grab all your shit out of the bin after getting through it it's insane dude you're like Shoes on the ground, slip your feet in, throw the thing around your neck, backpack on and you're out of there and not like stuff and change and receipts and all this shit that's just loose in the bottom of the bin back into your pockets. And that right then I'm like, women are so smart for having purses like this is this must be so nice. You yeah,
0: know? it's kind of like, I don't know, um, like I'm produ- like a video shoot. You have the chesty with like the walkie talkie right here. I, I've, I've always thought that'd be so useful in everyday life. Like we'll just have a walkie in everyday life, but yeah, I'm going to have to get my hands on one of these things.
1: Dude, I think, yeah. And watch out. There might be something like that lined up here for the future coming dude. out of our way. And I think that dude, it's, that's exactly it. So one of our whole things is to be very lifestyle oriented and there's so many awesome things that are just so damn technical and professional that if you can like morph that into being more of like, a daily driver type scenario or a casual thing you know um for instance like oh it's really exciting actually we just got on um, our camera straps are on bnh photo they just made it up up on bnh the other day which is insane that's like our biggest platform ever super cool but if you go into bnh and you type in camera straps everything is just so techy, dude and it's like either very professional or like almost military style. And there's nothing too casual about anything on there. So I really think that's where we have this awesome market and gap in a market right now is to like bring those type of things, the radio harness in as something casual and not something that's like super gaudy. And then the fun part is too, is, you know, you have all the hip hop stars and whatnot they're repping the gaudy stuff which is really cool and you're all like oh that could be cool but i'm not gonna wear like something like
0: that but it's like a bulletproof it, vest in everyday life yeah.
1: <laughs> right but if you could make it so it doesn't feel like it's bulletproof vest but it's got the functionality of what they're going for and the style too like yeah it's so wild but i mean for instance this photographer came in here not too long ago and he's like the only Good things that work for me are military style bulletproof vests and all those things. And he's like, "But I hate showing up as a photographer looking like an intimidating military guy." Literally, it could be like almost a change of fabrics, and and like you're good on those things, you know?
0: Yeah, damn.
1: That's that's kind of like my push, and it's kind of hard for people to see because um, we're so involved in like a technical life and like everything you get like your skis are like they've got this technology in them and this technology and it's like we've got not even technology we don't even have any technology it's like that's a zipper and velcro but it works so damn good you know yeah damn
0: all right so the traveler trunk really changed everything for the company it seems like
1: full change man i mean we went from being something that was um under your jacket and like hidden and really worked well. But it was also specifically for a, a real defined niche to the traveler's trunk, which, as soon as you take that thing off of the suspenders, you know, they had the loop on the back and they still, they still actually do that's to like loop onto your suspenders, you know. But it's like you take this off and wear it around and next thing you know is like the skier dudes girlfriends or the skier girls were like hyped on it and the dudes were hyped on it too because it doesn't feel like a purse it feels like you got your bling on or something you know like your chains on
0: yeah throw some pins on that and actually get it sparkling yeah
1: yeah word man so that was really huge and then not like it took off by any means but for us it's just kind of crazy to think because it went like um the yoga scene kind of started picking it up a little bit. And now it's like thinking about the minimalist in life. Who is that? It's not just dudes. It's not just women. It's like, yeah, there's so many different venues of people that really love these things. Um, and so, yeah, it was a product that could reach the masses from a niche, which I think is like the coolest thing. And that's how the best things I think start, you know?
0: Definitely. Yeah, and so... I remember talking to Jeff. A big part of his philosophy was he wanted stuff to be built in America. What were what were your thoughts on all of that? Because he was from a very like former industrial town, you know, Pittsfield, yeah. Mass. So how would how did that like uh, what did you think of that whole thing? Yeah,
1: Um, that was that's just like an interesting thing when it comes to partnerships. I think, and Jeff and I discussed that uh, a few times throughout our scenario. Um, I just didn't really care, personally. I had. I have opinions on it. I, I love it. I try to support American made, but what I was trying to build wasn't necessarily that, but he was pretty strong on it. And like, if he's my partner, dude, like whatever, your top five things that you're gonna be strong on, I'm down with them and you better be down with the top five things that I'm strong on. So we were, I was trying to build a brand that could go huge. That's my whole mentality. And so that was something that he had to work with. You know, I think he was like a little bit more in the crafter side of things. Um, and I knew that's how it had to start was we had to make our own stuff. Um, but I was not hung up on Made in US, but he was. And that's, that's awesome. And, and we've discussed that, you know, I, I think that's really cool. And it's something to be super proud of. Um, there's just so many things about it side is like can we build this business to be as massive as i don't know a billabong or something someday by being made in the u.s and and yeah i think we can you know what i mean i think there's a way to do that so that was just us like giving and taking for each other um so yeah when we split that was like one thing that for me i we were sourcing all of our fabrics we're all from China all of our everything was from China pretty much already and then we're just paying someone a lot of money down the street to put together and then paying a lot of money to get it shipped and it's like it just didn't make that much sense to me and if it makes sense I'll do it I mean I don't know if you can see but it's like this hat up here it's got a American flag on it it's like where's my That's got American flag on it. So it's like, if there's something that works and it makes sense, I am like 10 times about going to the local, to the U.S. made, to the whatever. But I mean, when it comes to textiles, dude, you can't get shit done in the U.S. with textiles. Um, When it comes to work, period, like, we don't want to work here, man. Everyone's trying to make as much money as they can off of each little thing and uh, and trying to have a nice life, which I'm trying to do too. But understanding that there isn't really like the, the workforce here and everyone's trying to get lots of money for lots of profit margin for each thing versus you know in in china or in any manufacturing place outside the us i guess they're making minimum profit and cranking a ton of product out and like i don't know to me that's just like makes sense in terms of business um and here yeah there's just so much to pay for I guess there's so much overhead in the U S and yeah, not a lot of options. And then on top of it, add to it. It's like, I buy the logos from that company over there. I buy the Velcro from this company over there. I buy the fabric from that company over there, get it all shipped to me. Then I got to like break it all down, then ship it to the manufacturer. You know what I mean? And it's just this whole crazy process where what I want to do is be like, this is my product, I've finished it, I've made it, I want it made out of this color canvas, can you do it? And now it's like, yeah, we got it. It's like, send me the file for this and it's done. It's a one-stop shop in that sense. Yeah. Um, and so literally it relieved a whole job of mine in a way because I wasn't having to handle like all these different um, aspects of sourcing every little niche thing that went into the product it's just like yeah you're at a place big enough where they have it you know
0: yeah it, this is what i've wondered like talking to the previous guys and we haven't gone in depth on it but how do you even source like an overseas manufacturer because it seems like they've got to obviously they've had they've got to speak english so are, is there like a is there like a craigslist of manufacturing
1: well there is it's called alibaba but
0: okay, yeah, yeah.
1: it depends how you want to do it. You know, um, a lot of companies are pretty big and significant size and kind of how you play that is you find someone who's going to be your liaison, I guess is kind of the scenario. And that liaison usually lives in China has connections with all the manufacturers. You give them your product, and then they go and source it within their connections. Um, You kind of have to have some over some month some capital to like handle that because there's a bunch of overhead because you're kind of stepping into higher quantities, and that is actually the scary part about that move too. Is everything moving from us was very small quantities, and then to a bigger manufacturer had to be higher, but there was uh, they cost less per unit, obviously, not an even balance like our 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 value or what's the word I'm looking for the cost of making things went up significantly high, but I got significantly more, but I couldn't get their quantities down, you know? So it just changes like the, instead of making 50, you're making 250. And instead of your bill, now your bill is doubled, but you're getting way more than double. You know what I mean? Um, So yeah, that's kind of how you would do it as a normal scenario for us. um, my like trick basically i did use alibaba but i didn't use it in how it's made how it's made to be used but basically the scenario is that if you use that you can find the people who make your style of products already and then you can work with them to see if they can make your design so most everything on alibaba is already like designed made or being made or whatever and you're putting your logo on it and that's it like you choose a color and that's it right but for me i was like all right really need to have my own design and yeah so i was actually talking with my buddy chuck at pit viper and he's like he's like bro just go on Alibaba, find the people who are already making the similar thing, send them a prototype and see what they price you at, you know, because they are a legit manufacturer. Now the problem with that is there is a language barrier because now I'm typing to somebody who has terrible English and I also have no Chinese like language in me at all. So <laughs> there's a tough language barrier there but it's one of like the things that I have to do to kind of make this thing go. And I think it's one of the things I have to do to step into that next level. Um, and TreeFord also just comes from a place of no investment, if that makes sense too. So like, we never like built a business plan, gave it to a bank, tried to get a business loan. We haven't done any of that. We have had like a few friends or family, like, like cover, uh, a run to get us going or something like that. But never have we had like, we're going to give you 25% of the business for a hundred grand or something like that. You know what I mean? There's never been anything like that. So we have to, we're building this all on our own and all from the 20 bucks basically where it started. And yeah. So it gets really hard when you bring, when you start to bring in like big, numbers and all that stuff it it's hard to have all the things that you want I guess so I have to like really focus on organizing how my drops are going to come and and when they can come and how many like colorways they're going to be and all that type of stuff you know
0: yeah so how did you end up in Oregon and then how did you split how did you and Jeff end up going your own separate ways I don't know if those two stories are tied to each other or or what
1: yeah um well basically you know roommate style Tanner and I ended up like kind of getting into a little bit of a a meeting of minds and and it was really actually at a perfect timing where I was like dude I don't want to like lose our friendship you know and uh and he didn't either and I'm just like I'm just gonna find a new spot and move out of the house and we'll just be homies you know and actually worked out super amazing because at that time jeff had broken his femur up here at hood um he had two roommates in his house but one of them was gone for this one of them was gone for the summer another another one had just moved out or something like that so i ended up moving to jeff's house for three months like there was an open room for three months was basically the scenario jeff needed help i thought at least and i mean he didn't need need help but dude was laid up with a broken femur like it was a bad break and he couldn't do too much so i just remember like moving there and like making dinner for us every night type of thing and i fell in love with oregon and the spot and like he had rented out of that house like a little office in the house and that's where tree fort was and then Um, I moved there and kind of got like into the place and wasn't going to go back to Salt Lake. The business was already there. I was like, I'm going to be here. I ended up kind of being homeless after that three months, but I did really cool things in that time. I went and worked on the herb farm, like a big one in Cali for my first time, which was cool to make a little bit of money. And because I made that money, I ended up getting to be Ahmed's filmer for a year that winter and we filmed the flip the script I don't know if you've seen flip the script one two and three but I filmed that whole thing um and traveled all around with him on that so that kind of like I was based out of Oregon but I didn't have a house I was just like coming back and like sleeping on Jeff's couch you know and uh doing that type of thing and then ended up getting a room at my friend's house like right down the road so I could walked to Treefort, I didn't have a car, like it was just like that whole thing. Got going on on the Treefort scenario and uh, it just grew, we ended up taking over the garage, you know, and then ended up the people over the years, the people who owned the house that was being rented for Treefort and Jeff, they wanted to sell their house. So we all had to move and we split up, which, you know, puts uh, put Treefort into this office that I'm in here. Um, we're in like the Thriftway shopping plaza up here in Welch's in Mount Hood. Um, yeah. And it just kind of like, it split us all up and just kind of our graphic designer moved to Portland and he's still our graphic designer. He has been since day one. He like made the logo with us, which is super cool from Vermont dude. Now lives out here, um, yeah, so all these moves just started happening. Um, Jeff and I have just like always worked another job too. So, Treefort's been like its own little self sufficient thing. It might look a little bit bigger to people because, you know, uh, we worked and paid our own our own bills. We weren't like pulling from Treefort on it. Um, so, that was like kind of a neat scenario. And yeah, just built to a point where i think over the years jeff and i's directions like split a little bit more in the of what i said in the beginning of um he wanted to be more crafty i think style and hands-on and us made and i wanted to be more like we can be nike man like let's make this thing big and um also at that time we had just been working for ourselves and the brand so we probably each probably we're putting in close to 40 hours a week each year but we also had another job over there you know um and it just gets really exhausting man and I honestly feel for him because at that time I I don't think it was just that our mindsets were different it was that we weren't making money off of this thing and we had been doing it for eight years you know um and how long do you like keep putting yourself and all of yourself into this thing it wasn't just like it wasn't just like a, Hey, I want to meet up the tree fort office. And sow some things, it was like, we were in, you know, and we are in still, but it's like definitely a different, um, uh, field of work your ass off for something that you've never really received anything out of. And yeah. Do you have faith in each other? Where is it going? What are we actually doing? Are we holding each other back? Like we talked about that all the time. We're like, who Jeff you saved me there because you held me back on doing this you know what I mean and if we would have done that it would have been bad and vice versa but at the same time how many things do you hold back from each other when just like make the damn mistake you know what I mean um so yeah there's there's just a bunch of interesting scenarios and he so in that whole process you probably found out that Jeff was doing like the leather logos for us which was awesome right we like tried to source leather logos couldn't find good ones he's like i'm gonna make them I said perfect and then in that he started getting into leather crafting so that was another maybe a little bit of a pull he's getting into leather crafting and as he's getting into it from the tree fort side i was doing accounting and uh, bookkeeping so i was like man we're like back to the same thing as before it's like we're buying uh dies from over here tools from this guy leather from that guy and all these things were coming into the accounting that was just a mess and annoying to deal with and i was like hey what if you start your own business that's a leather business all you have to do then is just invoice tree it for the whatever 500 logos that you're making how nice is that going to be for me and then i didn't want like I mean, I'll probably do it someday, but I didn't want like leather dog leashes and, and, uh, dog collars and like biker wallets to be tree Fort. I just didn't feel like it really fit at all. Um, so I think that was like a mindset where I'm like, sweet, now you can do this all under your own little like side thing. and It doesn't need to affect tree Fort." I thought it was awesome. And it turns out it is awesome because it kind of kickstarted him into doing his whole thing he had all the tools had all the stuff and when he decided that he was over it you know um I was just like all right part of the thing was that he could keep all the leather stuff I'm not going to use it you know what I mean and it's like he's did so much to help this business grow that um I couldn't pay him nearly what he what he had put in You know what I mean? There's no way a business wasn't worth it. So it's like, that wasn't going to happen. So if there's something like that, that I could, that we could do for him, that tree fort could do for him. It's not even me at that point. It's like, literally like, dude, if we think of tree fort as its own identity, it's like, thank you for being a dad for so long. Like this is the least we can do, you know, it's give you this stuff. So, um, yeah, so he decided that he was over it and uh, I had to just find a way to make get some money because he needed he needed something to leave with, you know? Otherwise it would make it bad because we were 50-50 in the business, which means no one can make a decision. Learn that right now and everybody who's listening, I hope you hear that. Um, go into business with someone at least 51%, 49%. Don't even be afraid if you're the 49%, if you have a little bit of trust in the person who's the 51. Like someone needs to be a decision maker in the end because it almost doesn't matter which way it goes sometimes. It's like, as long as the decision's made, we're not in floaty limbo,
0: you know? Yeah, Um, sometimes you'd rather even be the 49 because you get the other person has the responsibility of making the decision.
1: 100%. And then, and then when it comes to this, it's like, you know, Jeff's like, I want to sell the business. And I'm like, well, I don't. So you can't. Mm-hmm. And how that sucks, you know? And it sucked for me too. Cause I didn't want to do that, but I had to, I'm like, this is my dream and my life and my love and like all these things. So no, I'm not selling it to anybody. And now he's screwed right now. If he actually wants to leave, he almost has to take nothing. And that's a terrible way of going about it. So yeah, we just did some math and calculated what we thought the business was worth based on its profitability. And um, then I had to go find some money. And luckily I have some amazing family who was able to help me out with that a little bit. And uh, yeah, and we were just able to make it really clean. Like we had our lawyer help us out and we're still great friends, you know, it's not like it's not like we hang out all the time the bummer is, is that we just ended up putting, splitting this business. So he had a ton more work to do now. And I had a ton more work to do now. And we really didn't get to hang out that much once the split, but you know, we had a buddy hit us up and we went to his wedding a little while ago. And he's like, is it cool if I invite both of you guys? And I'm like, put us at the same table, you know? And he was like really stoked because that's really hard for a business to break at all, no matter if it's good, bad, like to, for it to come out that clean. And I know there was some animosity probably between both of us, but um for it to come out that clean was just like pretty incredible. And to still have him as a friend is pretty incredible. You know, we went through college and so much together. So yeah, it's really cool now.
0: Yeah, totally. Know? I mean this sounds like as as clean as it could be like just because you guys had different visions for the future doesn't mean that's a bad thing. I mean, you did the right thing in the end with just buying him out. When I mean, technically, you didn't even need to.
1: Right. I know it's really weird, man. Because when I talk to like my business friends, they're like, "Oh, you're in the best position ever," and I'm like, "Yeah, but not really,"
0: <laughs> you yeah, know? Because exactly. you want to keep him a, a friend,
1: <laughs> yeah. And I have a conscience and like all this stuff. It's not just about. And the business wasn't worth that much. It's not like it's, you know what I mean. It's not like it's worth tons and tons of money. So we're not yeah, we're fighting, you would be fighting over pennies and dimes. And like, at that point in time, I didn't want to see anyone else run my business either. I wanted it to die, or me run it. You know what I mean? And that's the thing about the 5050. It's like, it's like, dude, I'll just kill it then like it can just die. Like, I'll take half the inventory, you take half the inventory, it's done. You know? Yeah. And then so when did
0: so when did you guys split ways? How long? How long ago was that? Or just like like just split companies basically.
1: Yeah, like um, two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago.
0: Yeah. So yeah. since then, what have like once you had full control, like what was was there like any first order of business you wanted to do, or was it just continuing to do what you were already doing? Yeah,
1: I really wanted to make some changes. Um, I knew I needed, I knew I needed to like slim down our line to make. To go to a bigger manufacturing. Um, I also had there was a bunch of stuff that Jeff put a lot of effort into that I didn't really feel like I wanted to keep from him in a way. So you know there was like a fingerboard surfboard for out the window of the car. And that was like something that he put in a lot of time and effort into. And it's a tree fort thing, so it's like I do want that back someday, but I've really been like all right, I have to save some money and like move allocate funds differently. Like that's one of the first things that it's just like, boom, that's off the table. He can have that until like eventually I'll bring it back someday, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, there was things like that. So I tried to take some things off the plate that wasn't, that was already there um, that I didn't think was going to move us in the direction of the future. Um, as well as give him some of his things back. We had leather wallets. We had, you know, a whole bunch of stuff like that that really came from him. And I could have kept it going by sending his wallet away and getting it remade or something, you know, but or having him make it. But this is really like, let's separate these things and do our own thing.
0: And just simplify, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I really wanted to focus on our bags. And I think that's the thing that's gonna move us forward the most. The bummer is the hard part about it is that it like really slows us down because it kind of pulls us a little bit more from skiing and snowboarding when you're really focusing on that. And that's what our following is. And that's what we could make money off of if we pushed suspenders and or anything skiing, snowboarding related. Um, but I just really think there's a future in the, in like um unisex bags you know so i really like slim down to focus on that and um i figured if i'm marketing a more similar thing over and over it, it really starts to click with people um and if we're marketing this huge array of
0: stuff it's like what
1: really are we you know what i mean yeah well
0: it actually it does make sense like dark forest jeff's new company is leather stuff and when i think of you guys tree fort i think of suspenders and bags perfect yeah yeah so that's exactly what you're going for
1: definitely what i'm going for and now i'm like you know the more we can build this thing and get it together it's like the more opportunity i have to get into like maybe some big stores you know like I'm like, we're bags and we're unisex and we're rugged and it's not like a Louis Vuitton and it's not like a Herschel and it's like, damn, maybe this thing could go into Zoomies. You know what I mean? And like, literally we could be on that that type of level at some point. So that's like my, my direction is just to make stuff that is, I really think about from our niche to the to the rest of the world you know
0: totally and yeah so I usually wrap up the the non-viewer questions portion with like what's your vision of for the future for the brand the vision for the future is
1: my vision for the future is just more to create unique looking and feeling items that really hit hit a a broad mentality in the outdoor space so i know that's like a broad statement but i'm always just creating weird things um, that i see that we're having problems with or not having these things that could fix problems um, so when i'm camping or when i'm hiking or when i'm friggin' working construction i'm like seeing stuff that i'm like oh that could be this or that could be this you know and building things and then also like interrelating them so i see treefort being very accessories oriented but i also see in like the next 5 years um some really cool like clothing stuff coming out and apparel stuff coming out that i don't think people have really like thought of or seen before um so i'm really excited about that because i've never considered myself like a designer in that sense or Well, not, but I've been playing with some things that I've kind of wanted for myself and the feedback's been pretty incredible. So we'll see what happens with that, but um, I just want to continue to have a new take on things that already exist. So whether that's a backpack, um, a, a thing in your car for organization and travel, um yeah weird stuff man i see weird stuff all the time and i try not to give it away to everybody but yeah of course yeah we got some funky things coming for sure but it's it's a mix between apparel and and like kind of the bag and accessories
0: yeah sick well i feel like we could talk about stories all day and just keep yeah. going on these different like various rabbit holes and like your relationship with all these guys from the past now but let's uh Let's do the viewer questions. Cause we got some, we got some interesting ones and uh, some of these guys from the past come back up. Uh, so first one, it's the one we have every week now. What's your hot take?
1: In skiing, it gets really interesting In skiing. It's just like uh, s- style over performance probably. And I, and that's not, that's probably half the people agree with me and half the people say performance first, you know what I mean? But it's like, I have had the hardest time, man, watching the competition scene because it scares me, man. It's like these people are going so hard and like the smallest change could lead to crazy injury, you know? And it's like, so to me, I don't like the scariness of it. I love the fluidity of it, you know? And I love when like dudes get their like last run in competition and they've already won and they, and Jossie can just do zero spins in 180s, like, I'm like, yes, you know, Um, so obviously in competition, you kind of have to mix those, but I mean, I mean, perfect example is like Henrik's whole thing with his nose butter triple in the Olympics was just like, I'm gonna go and do the most proper one I can do. And that was just like really nice to see because he doesn't look scared in it. I don't feel scared for him in it. And yeah, so that's probably my biggest hot takes is like uh, style over performance and stop scaring yourself and the people, man. Holy cow. It's like, I'd I'd literally rather watch girls big air sometimes because it's like, it just looks like, I want to see her do a dub 10 over the same jump. These guys are doing like, 21. Alex Hall's doing 2160 on. Like, big up Alex Hall for sure, but I'd rather see a dub 10. <laughs> <You
0: know>? Yeah. <laughs> all right. He did pretty good for somebody that doesn't, that didn't know what it was at first.
1: Uh, Perfect.
0: All right. Wumbo skis Does anyone rep the suspenders harder than Tofa Loaf?
1: Tofa Loaf is the biggest repper. And to make it really fun, he is walking distance right down the street he lives right here i could like probably hit his window with a with a stone from here it's pretty awesome
0: yeah so is that how he got linked up on the program you guys are basically just neighbors
1: yeah basically just neighbors and he just is this big supporter and uh i think it just like naturally fell into place he yeah i don't i don't know if there's i'm trying to think is there anyone bigger you know it's like because he's just always got him on the outside. He's always tagging. He's like, yeah, he's just a genuine human and it's just a really cool scenario. Um, There was like a whole scene for a while where a bunch of the dudes, I feel like the bunch all kind of repped him on the outside. There was like a little bit of a scene, but he's the only one who's held it down.
0: Yeah, sick. Really cool. All right. Uh, the uh, the skin eats oh sick ian yeah uh how does one get sponsored any new ideas or products for tree for in the future and then he also wanted to add that it was a it was a great meet and greet this spring with you
1: yeah that kid's so nice man it's so cool to like meet these people who we've had like either relationships or connections with through the internet and instagram and uh people supporting and tagging and Yeah, there isn't really a way to get sponsored because we don't have a team. We don't have anything like that. I really hope that TreeFort can grow enough in the future to truly make enough of an income to like really give back to skiing. You know, that's that's like probably my biggest mission in this whole thing is to like actually support skiing in a bigger support people in skiing in a bigger way than we do um right now tree fort is just kind of like a platform for all people really so we just really like to put it out there to the people and if you support us we support you back um we don't have an ambassador program i don't know there's all these things that just seem so corny i think one of my you know what hot take is is pros aren't really pro there's a good one like these people who are sponsored they're not getting like really paid they're not like living their life it's like it's like almost or they're not getting paid to live their life it's almost like a thing that you can that the company can boast about themselves for and that the people can be like this company recognizes me but they're not getting like paid for the risk that they're doing and that kind of bothers me so I've never wanted to like sponsor people because I think people take it out of context from the viewer perspective now if you want to put your logo in the beginning our logo in the beginning of your edit I would love to send that to you like that that shit fires me up because I'm trying to create community involvement and everybody support everybody just like high tide rises all boats like you said earlier you know yeah so I mean it's really cool man this spring's been like really fun people like uh Dasha Gangsta Russia came through you know and She's just like, I have my camera. Can we go take photos? And it was like, not for anything other than she wants to contribute, but also she gets her photography seen at a different level or to different people on my account. And it's been crazy actually, how many photographers have literally come from deciding they wanna be a photographer to us posting them their photos to them getting paid my real brands as a photographer because they're seen and have credibility now you know
0: yeah so Same.
1: i really like being that platform yeah
0: so to go back to your hot take because it's so good the second one so you think that most pro quote-unquote pro skiers are just cosplaying as pros they're not actually like because pro is really your your skiing supports your life basically
1: right and that's what i want people to understand like what is pro you know it means professional like it's like if i'm pro anything i'm like professional carpenter you know what yeah. i mean um
0: yeah so like a professional photographer exactly like their photography pays for their life videographer yeah. same thing yeah
1: yeah exactly and i think most people are just being marketed And supported by these companies. They're not even like on an ambassador level, but the companies, like, we'd like to offer you a sponsorship. And it's like, that is cool, but a sponsorship doesn't mean you're pro. Like, I love how in skateboarding, it's like, if you have a pro deck, you're a pro. If you have a pro shoe, you're a pro. Like, that's it. That's like the thick, that's like, it's like very definitive. You know what I mean? So I think that's like a huge scenario. and I think it tricks kids into wanting to be pro. And then when they get it, it's not what they think it is. And they're not really getting supported, like sick to get free skis. Like it's the nicest thing ever, but you're not pro at that point in time. And, and, you're just
0: sponsored.
1: and I've literally, you know, grown up with Brady and kids would be like, you're my favorite pro skier. And it's like, haven't got a dime off
0: of it you know he's like i work at the retail store over here you know well, and that's the other thing about it like i mean th- this could warrant its own episode but like if you're recognizable like if you're recognizable to kids like your younger brother for example and they look up to him and they idolize him and they're gonna go their whole life saying oh i love brady when i was growing up that's part of being a pro skier you know
1: it is so yeah, yeah it's just really it's really weird i loved how you inter- interviewed the Vishnu guy and he was talking about like what to do to like get sponsored and i was like oh this dude is awesome he's yeah. like just go ski in, in the streets and it's like yeah for me i'm like people are like how do i get sponsored i'm like well we just love when people support our brand so i'm like do you have any products do you already use our stuff do you know it do you love it you know yeah. or what are you trying to get out of this are you trying to get money or are you trying to get like on the team, just so your name's on a website or something like I don't I don't know, but I feel like there's a big falsity in how people interpret those things. And so I don't really want to be part of the business game that plays into that because I just seen it firsthand. like literally all the four by nine guys like hardly got any money, you know yeah,
0: except for Tom. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And they all were considered like pro skiers because everyone watched them in movies. It's like, if you're in a movie, you're a pro skier. It's like, no, you're not a pro skier. You just go skiing. Yeah. That's, that's, that camera. is
0: so interesting. Maybe, maybe we'll put a, we'll pay to, we'll put a panel together and you could be uh you could be on that panel and we'll, everyone will just duke it out about what the definition is.
1: Yeah. I wonder, cause everyone's got a different one. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. That'd be sick actually. All right. We're keeping that in the back of my mind. All
1: right. Sick.
0: All right. Uh, spaghetti sauce. What keeps KP motivated? Uh, the man is an inspiration. Do you go by KP?
1: Uh, I go by whatever people call me. I, I mean, my name's Kevin and, uh, a lot like from since Salt Lake days, everyone calls me KP and you can't, you can't, uh, make up your own nickname. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, I just go by whatever calls me. It's really funny, man, because over the years I got all these different names and, they almost like relate to like timeframes and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so you can be like, Oh,
0: that's someone from Salt Lake. Probably if they're calling me KP, you know, dude, same thing with uh, Nathaniel, Dickie Stiza, he's known about Nathaniel back in the Midwest and then Dickie out in Salt Lake. Nice.
1: Nice. And then you probably got some people that call you Nate or something. And you're like, Oh, there's that one guy. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I just always, you know, my friends will be like, this is KP. And I'm like, hi, I'm Kevin you know what i mean yeah um so that's kind of my that's kind of my scenario with that
0: yeah so back to the question what what keeps you motivated
1: what keeps me motivated is uh my visions probably i just see so many weird things and i like creating them um yeah that's probably the biggest scenario i'd say connections with people um everything just plays into everything so much but it's
0: a loaded question for sure I'm like yeah. literally
1: the one of the most motivated people in the game so it's like i don't know what really keeps me motivated but
0: um well you've been yeah. motivated for so long it's just like a muscle that you keep working and then it becomes second nature yeah
1: i think th- i think um the possibility of the future is what keeps me most motivated i think like I have all these ideas that I want to design and I have to like do my work to get to those ideas. And so the ideas are what motivates me to get my work done. So then I'm like, all right, sweet. Now I can make this thing that I've been thinking about. And I don't draw like how we started Treefort. I, uh, I make it on a sewing machine first. So it like goes from my mind to a sewing machine, never like a drawing. So I have all these like hack job ideas that I create on a sewing machine. And it's basically just to hold the idea for me. So I don't have to keep it in my head. I can just put it in a bin for a while and come back to it, you know? But that's yeah. probably like the most motivation.
0: Yeah, that that totally makes me think of the Steve Jobs interview. I don't know if you've seen it, but he said like one of his biggest revelations and it's way better visualized. So you'll, you'll be able to see it, but they won't be able to hear it. It's like you take the world and if you and you could push something and on the other end, something will come out. So he was basically saying like, you have a like a tangible impact on what exists. So he said that was like a huge motivator for him. And it seems like you're kind of along those same lines.
1: Dude, it's definitely that. Like how can I add and help and all those things to the world, you know? And I mean it's not like it's not like these bags do like something that incredible or new or something like that. But it it does help in so many ways um with so many different people's lifestyles. And then thinking about how it's gonna help in the future and how it's helped me and how I've been able to like inspire a bunch of people and how I really hope in the future to do that even more, you know, like back to what I said, coming from learning disabilities and not being good in school and making it through. And then same thing, obviously in college, you know, um, to be able to have this and show that you can do this uh, without being, a straight A student without kind of following like the norms a little bit, you know, that's really like probably my biggest pushes is, is just to like help the world and like lighten things up a little bit with people, you know, because it's a heavy place nowadays.
0: Yeah. I think like doing these business episodes, what I love most is like showing people that all these things that people look up to, whether it's like an athlete or a brand dude, it's just regular people that are like, Oh yeah, I'm just, I'm an, I'm going to do this. You know, regular. I guess with the athletes, there's some natural talent playing in as well. But you know, like with, with a, a business like your own, it was just two normal dudes that are like, yeah, let's do a thing. And then we'll change. And then the world will change because of this thing that we created.
1: Right. And that's like the most inspiring part about everyone who's skiing, dude, is like, I literally seen all my friends like create businesses off of themselves and their own motivation, you know? So it's like, it's aj deciding that he wants to go film it's tom deciding that he wants to go ski and them getting together and deciding they're gonna go build something put this effort into something that they don't know if it's gonna work out and how many times does that happen and like you end up with a movie and yeah a few things don't work out or whatever but now you can have an impact and it's just like super
0: freaking cool man yeah like just aj and uh andrew being like yeah we're four by nine and then they create something out of nothing and now it's something that kids look up to that i looked up to growing up for sure
1: yeah man it's the coolest thing to me i love i love that so yeah Yeah, for sure probably
0: all right inspired media tv what do you love most about skiing
1: the feeling it's crazy um So, well, this is like kind of a newish one maybe for me, but uh, like three years ago I blew my knee and I don't have health insurance, I don't have any of that shit. So I have not got my knee fixed. I just have a wobbly, wobbly knee. But two, like a year and a half after it happened, I had a friend uh, give me a ticket to go skiing and I hadn't skied in a year and a half, you know? And I, another friend gave me a knee brace and it fit perfect. And I put that thing on and I went skiing for a day, dude. And holy cow, that feeling of just like standing on these things and knowing how to like work them. It's really different coming back from an injury, right? Because you're not at your prime game, but I know how they work. So it's like, I know I could just like sit on them and steer, let them steer themselves and like turn them and it was almost like this whole type of skiing that I hadn't felt in a long time because I'm always like ripping my tails and slashing or popping or doing whatever but just to like ski how the ski skis and let it go down the hill was just like the most incredible feeling and having not done that in a year and a half or whatever's time really just put that just put that into me it's like it's it's the classic feeling that everyone says man it's that uh everything else goes away you know and you're just like really left with like here and now and what's in front of you and to be perfectly honest I'm so grateful about tree for that because I found the same thing in designing like when I'm sewing and creating something from scratch that like there's nothing else out it's just like I'm so honed in and I'm either happy or frustrated but it's like whatever everything else is just gone and it gives me the same feeling back that skiing was when I was like learning tricks you know what I mean it's just like try this doesn't work seam rip it apart try it again and then next thing you know you're like I got these down like let's go and yeah
0: yeah it's really cool yeah that's awesome Yeah. Skiing can really teach you like so much about life. I did a, when I was doing my master's, my final, like my thesis was, uh, you had to identify a problem and and propose a solution. And my whole paper was about, you know, making skiing more accessible. But at that macro level, like all the professors were like, well, why is skiing even important? So I had to think about all those things, like what it teaches you and how, like the lessons it could take you through life. So totally, it it totally goes just off the mountain too. it, It extends everywhere.
1: It extends everywhere, dude. And like, yeah, it's, you're, you're totally right. And to, to get, to be good at one thing is to be good at everything kind of scenario, right? It's like, once you can hone in and like really see something you can understand everything else. But it's like before skiing, I was like surface level with everything. Now you get into skiing and you're like, okay, I understand that there's this industry and how this industry works. That probably works kind of similarly in that industry, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you're like understanding how all the world kind of works around you. But it was by understanding one thing, and yeah, um, yeah, I think that's like a pretty cool scenario.
0: That's awesome. All right, last question. Scott asks advice for people getting started. Um, just start because
1: basically. I was explaining this to my friend the other day who's starting a business and we were just talking about how if you know what you're about to get into, you might be a little intimidated, but if you don't and you just start, the next thing that happens is you have a problem that you gotta fix and it's because you started. And now you're just fixing problems along the way just because you started, like you can't anticipate those problems, nothing of the sort, like, just make one move forward and you're going to start having like things that you've got to chase down or fix. And those are the things that are like actually going to build you in the end. So it's, it's the most intimidating part, but it's literally one step. And if you take one step, as you probably know, from starting this, you get a little bit of positive energy back from like a direction and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to go here. And then I'm going to go here. And then, oh the audio quality isn't as good as i'd like it so what do I, you know what i mean the next thing you know you're like totally in it and it's a real thing and um all you need to do is just the first stitch man yeah i like that
0: just do it that should be the tree fork model. yeah still
1: nike and we're just doing
0: it <laughs> exactly yeah no, we're gonna do it it's like that uh what is that clay it's like that winter claymation movie they have the whole song it's just put one foot in front of the other that's all that's all you got to do
1: dude it really really is and and yeah just uh and back to that too it's like once you have one foot moving it's simple physics uh, that if there's already momentum it's easier to make it go faster once it's moving but from stop it's the hardest so yeah just one step it can be the smallest smallest step and I do these things all the time, constantly. I'm always starting things. I'm always trying to make myself not start 20 businesses at a time, but I have some weird other things going, man. But I mean, for instance, um, Inspired, Eric Iberg and I, and like Tanner's involved too, but we're building an album actually right now, a reggae album where it's gonna be all of our favorite artists. And it's really cool because we like contribute directly to these artists. And we're going to put them on as a, a new platform for people to hear hear these artists, you know? So it's kind of like going out to a new crowd that might not has never might not have never heard these guys. Um, and I just, it's just like, I love music. So I want to be involved in it. I don't just want to like take from it. I want to like do something with it and contribute to it. And um, so that's one of the things on my side project. It's like, yeah um eric and i are constantly like working with jamaican reggae artists that we look up to that we want to support and um we're making custom songs kind of like tanner used to do in his movies you know you'd hear like tanner hall shout outs in songs or whatever and and that means that he it's really cool that means that he owns that song he bought that song from the artist which instead of like paying for the rights which is really cool he like he like bought the song so he A, has the rights but it's like his you know what i mean um so he directly contributed to that artist too so it's been really neat during um black lives matter stuff and everything that's been going on with that to teach people that it's not necessarily just about donating it is if you don't have any connections to these communities you know but if you have communities you can do way more to help them by working with them and involving everybody and putting everybody in the friggin' pot together instead of being like, you're this and you're that, and we can't interact with you, you know? So, um, yeah, it's been really, really fun. So, that's something to look forward to in the future. I don't know if we'll be allowed to mention that in this interview or not, but it's like really friggin' neat, dude. Like, and then, like, I've been doing stupid other dumb stuff, like, um, I love filming videography all that stuff and then i just ended up somehow filming a matchbox little matchbox car and trying to make it look real and now it's just turned into this whole thing of rc car uh like trying to make little mini rc cars look really real and
0: it's yeah. just
1: stupid dude
0: but it's like
1: going somewhere. yeah <laughs> I, don't know. Well, I'm actually,
0: I got another viewer question that i skipped over just because i thought he was joking around and asked when are we getting tree fort rc cars
1: Yeah, dude, they're coming. So I'm not like in the RC community and I don't really do the things that the RC community does, but I love, this is really relatable to skiing. Actually, I love how they're miniature. And then I love finding places and things that weren't supposed to be a road or a mountain pass or something like that. And like being able to make it that. And that's the same feeling that I used to get like driving through a city and being like, oh, a city's now like urban handrails and you could hit jump over this fence and hit that thing. And so you just see everything different. And it's just this whole change of perspective of trying to film really, really small things. And um, yeah, eventually we'll we'll have something like that, I think, but um, I've got some stickers on there. We got one rig that's sponsored by Pit Viper and Treefort. It's pretty funny. Sick. (laughs) All right. We'll see it's
0: stupid. Yeah, that is all I have. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Let's uh, let's plug all your stuff so people know where to find you and keep up with Treefort.
1: Yeah, we are at Treefort Lifestyles on Instagram. We're at Treefort LS on like Twitter and Snapchat and TikTok. We got treefortlifestyles.com as our website. We've always got like little blogs popping up and um trying to create new things all the time so keep your eyes peeled especially coming this fall we got some goodies coming out
0: boom there you have it thanks again yeah thank you man i really appreciate you having me